0: Would you turn your Bible, please, to 1 Thessalonians, chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 2. Thank you for the wonderful singing today, beautiful songs, every one of them. We appreciate these beautiful flowers also placed in memory and honor of Mr. L.O. Underwood, who was taken to be with the Lord This week, Wednesday night, and uh, his memorial service was yesterday here in the auditorium. Mr. Ms. Underwood had been members of our church since 1958. Our hearts go out to the entire family. Also, this past week, Ms. Gertha Hudson was taken to be with the Lord. She had been a member of our church for many, many years, and. We are grateful for all she meant to us while she was here. First Thessalonians chapter 2, two verses, verses 19 and 20. For what is our jo- hope, or joy, or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and our joy... The Apostle Paul had spent three weeks in the city of Thessalonica, just three weeks. That was a comparatively short ministry for Paul. When you compare it to Ephesus, he spent three years in Ephesus, and he said when he left there in Acts chapter 20, I cease not day and night to declare the whole counsel of God so that I'm pure from the blood of all men. Many believe that he knocked on every door in the city of Ephesus during those three years. When he went to Thessalonica, he had come there from Philippi. He was on the second missionary journey. He had crossed the Aegean Sea, understanding there was a need in Macedonia for spiritual help. He went to the city of Philippi, and he preached there for a while, founded one of the greatest churches in all of Christendom most of us would trace our spiritual lineage churchwise back to philippi it was the first church on european soil but as was true in all of the ministry of paul when he preached there was either a revival or a riot and sometimes both and that happened at philippi and he was cast out of the city he went to thessalonica and he he preached there for a while just three weeks and the same thing happened there He left and went to Berea, and then to Athens, and then to Corinth. This was all part of the second missionary journey. But he left a deep imprint on the people at Thessalonica. And we know this because of the letter he wrote back many years later. A report came saying they were doing great. The gospel had taken hold, the church was growing, but they were confused about one thing. Paul had written or had preached, rather, about the second coming of Christ. Apparently, he had grounded them deeply in the truth of the rapture and the tribulation period and the millennium. I'm sure everybody at Thessalonica were premillennialists when you read what happened here. Because they got confused when he left. Some had said, Jesus has already come the second time and the rapture has occurred and we're still here. We don't understand. And so Paul wrote these two little epistles to say, Jesus has not yet come the second time. You'll know it when he comes. Don't believe all those that go out and say, lo, he is here, lo, he is there. And he gave the sequence of events that must occur before the coming of the Lord. And then in chapter two, he gives us a little bit of glimpse of heaven. He says, he's, he's lifting the horizon, he's lifting the vision above the earthly, out beyond into the glory of the Lord. And he says, over there, what is our hope, or joy, or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For we are his glory, for for ye are our glory and our joy. Now in this brief passage, there are three wonderful truths that we need to see. Number one, we're seeing a little bit of glimpse of heaven. He's guiding our eyesight above the sphere of the present out to the future. Sometimes Christians have been accused of being too otherworldly. They say, all you think of is a piece of pie in the sky when you die by and by. Well, there are social implications of the gospel. There's so much to be done before we go home to heaven. And yet the Bible is filled with references to heaven. And we're told in the scripture not to set our affections on things here, but on things there. And so the true believer must recognize that this world is not our home. We're just passing through. Our treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Heaven is the homeland of the believer. And we're passing through this, uh, this world and we are the lower lights as Brother Lloyd sang a moment ago. Jesus is the light of the world, but you and I are the lower lights. But the lower lights form the, the guidelines that point to heaven. It would be a dismal event if you were in an airplane and coming down for a night landing and there were no lower lights on the airport. It would be tough those lights on the airport guide the plane even though they're on automatic pilot the pilot can see what is going on have you ever heard of a pilot being lost not knowing where he was where the airport was where a city was or what city this was or and so on it's because there are no lore lights and the Bible says that you and I are the lore lights and our purpose is to guide people safely to the land way that leads home. Now, Jesus is the light of the world. He is the main light. He is the chief light. You and I are lore lights or little lights. And as the song says, let the lower lights be burning. Send a gleam across the way. Some poor, forlorn, shipwrecked brother, seeing may take hope. Well, we see a glimpse of heaven. And he says, what is our real joy? As wonderful as it is to fellowship here, this is just a foretaste of heaven. When we come to church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, those who come regularly must come because they like it. You don't have to come to church. Now, you have to go to school in the week. If you don't go, the truant officer comes after you. You have to go to your work during the week—Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Sometimes Saturday. Lots of people on Sunday. They go to work because if they don't, the bear comes to their door and they have nothing to eat. They need money to eat on. We need money to pay our expenses, and so mature, responsible people recognize the importance of having a job and they may like their job or they may not like their job but they go anyway because they need to but when it comes to church the reason people come to church I'm sure there are sometimes people come because their parents make them that's kind of sad there's no joy inside your heart Sometimes maybe people go to church for business purposes or other lesser motives. But I'd say that most reason people come to church is because they want to. They want to come. And they want to sing those songs of Zion. And they want to talk about the things eternal. And it's wonderful to just get a little bit of a breath of heaven between six days of a -a workaday world. This is sort of like heaven. That's the reason we sing a lot about heaven. Amen. I like the quartet song a while ago. This is just what heaven means to me. And when at last I see its face. Amen. That's what heaven means to me, to see Jesus. Now, Paul is talking about that, but he's talking about the people who are going to be there. He says, what is our hope or joy Or crown of rejoicing when we get home. Are not even ye in the presence of the Lord? Not for one minute should anybody ever think that he didn't love Jesus. Paul gave his energy, his strength, the prowess of his intellect. Everything he had, he laid at the foot of Christ. And for 30 or 35 years, he went across the then known Roman Empire... Telling about Jesus sometimes flocked sometimes put in jail many times abused sometimes shipwrecked suffering all kinds of indignity for the name of Christ and he said when he wrote to the Romans I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek and I am ready to preach the gospel to you there at Rome also I am ready Paul loved Jesus, but in this letter to the Thessalonians, where he just spent three weeks, he said, I'm looking forward to home and to heaven, because you are our crown of rejoicing. You are our hope, our joy. One of the things that will make heaven so precious and real are the people that I've stretched out my hands to and brought to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, friend, you and I must be able to say the same thing. The thing that will make heaven so real and so wonderful is to find somebody there you influenced to get there. I think of our bus pastors. A number of years ago, a family called me and they said we don't have a pastor we never go to church except our children came and there was a faithful bus pastor who came by every Saturday and tried to get us to let our children go and they said sometimes we wouldn't let them go sometimes we let them sleep in the morning because we slept but there were times when they got up and went on the bus she said My little boy died the other day. He had been to your church and made a profession of faith. You baptized him against my will. But he said, he's dead. Would you preach his funeral? You're the only church he ever attended. And I just thought, I had the honor of preaching the boy's funeral, but it was really the bus pastor. They went out there and knocked on those doors every Saturday to win him to the Lord. I tried to help the parents. The parents were distraught. They didn't know. They just knew almost superstitiously that it was something after death, but they were glad that their boy had some hope. Even though He came sometimes against their will and was baptized against their will. I did not know it at the time. We try to not baptize children whose parents don't give permission. But I'm glad we did that time. And the family was too. What is our joy listen when that bus pastor gets up there and that little boy no longer a little boy angel martinez says everybody in heaven's going to be 33 years old (laughs) when that guy comes and and says i just want to hug your neck thank you for telling me about jesus won't that be wonderful that's what heaven means to me that's what paul was saying what is our joy or crown of rejoicing are not even ye in the presence of the Lord? Now listen, doesn't that, disturb, doesn't that stir your heart to want to do something to win somebody to Christ? Isn't there something inside that says, I want to get in on that. I'd like to be used by God to be a lower light that would point people to the great light, Amen. the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for our sins. Some people assume that Everything's going to be just like it's going to be. There are some people who rest on the doctrine of predestination to the point they say, whatever's going to happen is going to happen no matter what happens. Well, beloved, I don't believe that. I believe in election. I believe in foreknowledge. I believe in predestination. But I believe that God has put upon every individual Preacher, deacon, choir member, Sunday school teacher, every person who is saved, the mandate to go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That is contingent on every one of us. Not just a select few, but everybody that is saved. If you're not saved, then that is not a mandate for you. The first thing you need to do is get saved. Repent of sin. Put your faith in Christ. But after you become a Christian, Jesus taught every one of his disciples, the very next thing after following me in baptism is to go out and try to get somebody else and bring them in. Bring them in bring them in from the fields of sin and point them home to heaven. What is our joy or crown of rejoicing or not even ye in the presence of our Lord? Think with me a moment about the value of one soul. The value of a soul can only be measured by what it costs God to redeem that soul. In Genesis God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. In Genesis chapter 3, man and woman fell into sin. God said, don't do it. They said, I'm going to do it anyway, and they did it. And that's exactly what sin is. God says, don't do it. I say, I want to do what I want to do. Don't tell me what to do, and I go on and do it. And God says, that's sin. You don't have to teach anybody to sin. It's bound up in the Adamic nature. And when we come to the age of accountability, and cho- instead of choosing right, we choose wrong. Amen. You say to a little child, don't touch that hot stove. He goes over and touches it. He has to experiment for himself. You say to people, there's danger in this sin. And they go on and try it anyway. There's something about our fallen nature that does that. And Jesus came. And died on a cross God's only remedy for sin the blood of Jesus Christ God's Son that cleanses us from sin and he came to die on a cross for our sins that we might be saved and when we trust him he forgives us Amen. think with me for a moment about Calvary he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we're healed all we like sheep had gone astray. We had turned every one to his own way. And the Lord had to lay on Jesus the iniquity of us all. Amen. When I stood at Calvary a few months ago with some of our people that were there. The guide tried to hurry us away. I said, I want to stay here a little bit. I don't know why he was in such a hurry. He went on. And we just stood there and looked up at that skull shaped hill where I believe the Lord was crucified and I tried to think Jesus died there for me. He died there for every person in the universe. And I said, Lord, please help me to be faithful unto death, to try to win people. And secondly, help me to have the courage to lay that on the hearts of God's people again and again and again. It is not the will of God that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And you and I are under a mandate to go and reach them. The value of a soul can only be revealed when we understand what it costs God to to save him. It costs God his only son. Secondly, the value of a soul can only be measured by the inspiration of even one life. I think of Jeremiah. God said, Jeremiah, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you and I ordained you to be a prophet to the nations. That one little life, God said, I have a purpose for you. Some of you in this room, you either have been parents or you are parents or you will be. That little form, one formed in the mother's womb, precious, precious to God. So precious. That it's murder if you abort that little child. That's wrong, wrong, wrong. You may have a little Beethoven in your womb. You may have a little D.L. Moody in your womb. You cannot kill it. The preciousness of life. I think of Samuel who when he was only seven years old, his mother had prayed for him and he came and was just a little child, just a little child, seven years old. God began to talk to him. Samuel? Samuel? He said, Who are you? What do you want? He ran over to Eli thinking it was Eli talking to him. Three times that happened and finally, wisdom gave Eli the the, the knowledge and the sense to say, if you hear that again, just get up and say, Lord, what do you want to say to me? I'm listening. And... And God began to say, Samuel, I have a purpose for you. I have a plan for your life. I think of on and on. The little children who were brought to Jesus. His disciples said, uh, Scram to the parents. Get away. The master doesn't have time for you. He's busy with all these adults. Jesus said, Wait a minute. Suffer the little children to come to me. Forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God had the value of one precious little soul. The value of a soul can only be measured by what that soul can accomplish. Now you just think what one little life can do. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, we are ambassadors for Christ. Every believer is an ambassador. We read about great ambassadors in years gone by. There's nobody greater than the least in this room who is willing to be an ambassador for Christ. Nobody greater. The ambassador to France, the ambassador to England, the ambassador to to Moscow, the ambassador to China, none of them can hold a match with you if you're an ambassador. Because you represent the person of a king at the court of another. You represent Jesus in the earth. And when you think of that, somebody wrote this. A Sunday school teacher, Mr. Kimball, in 1858, led a Boston shoe clerk to give his life to Christ. The clerk, Dwight L. Moody, became an evangelist. And in England in 1879, awakened evangelistic zeal in the heart of Frederick B. Meyer, pastor of a small church. F.B. Meyer preaching on an American college campus brought to Christ a student named J. Wilbur Chapman. Chapman engaged in YMCA work, employed a former baseball player named Billy Sunday to do evangelistic work. Sunday held a revival in Charlotte, North Carolina. A group of local men were so enthusiastic afterward they planned another evangelistic campaign bringing Mordecai Ham to town to preach. In the revival a young man named William Graham heard the gospel and yielded his life to Christ. Billy Graham, and so the story goes on. You win somebody, and you may win a special somebody, and they'll go out to touch the world for Christ. Years ago, a family moved to our city, and some of our young people we were over in a field over on the other side of town playing ball. Dwight Treadway was among them. Dwight saw this young guy about 16 or 17 years old. He was smoking a cigarette, had a beer and he invited him to church. That guy came, his life got turned around That young man was Bill Ricketts, who later married Darla Stone. And together for years and years and years, they built the great Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Athens. Dwight Treadway touched his life. You cannot tell what you're going to bring to the Lord when you bring somebody to Christ or to his church and invite them to go on with God. I don't have time to go on, but let the Lord lights be burning. What is our joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of the Lord at his coming? Amen. When we get home and we see loved ones and we see precious kinfolks and we worship Jesus for a millennium, and then God allows us to see some of the people we've influenced toward heaven. Won't that be wonderful? What a day it will be when by Jesus I shall see. Now, if you're here today and you do not know Christ as your savior, why not turn to him, receive him, invite him into your heart? If you are saved, would you say, Lord, use me. Use me when I'm playing ball. Use me when I'm in school. Use me in the office, use me at work. Use me, and Lord, help me to make some definite time in my schedule to go out and try to knock on some doors and bring people to God through Christ. May we pray together, every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. Our Father, we thank you for the goodness of God we pray Thou wilt will stir the hearts of the people of the Lord this morning. Stir us to see the value of one's soul, the importance of bringing somebody to Jesus, and the importance of settling that matter ourselves once and for all. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, please. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. Number what? Three. 334 334, in your book, after you've found that, look at me just a moment. You come to Jesus just like you are. You don't have to get better first. That's the hope of the gospel. If we had to clean our own lives up, we'd have something to brag about. We'd come and say, Lord, I got clean and I'm, I'm all right. I've gotten rid of all my old habits, and now I'm fit to go to heaven. And Jesus will have to say, I'm sorry, you don't need me. Jesus said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. We have to come just as we are, with our habits, with our doubts, with our phobias, with our sins. And just say, Lord, I cast myself on you. I need you. And when we do that, Jesus saves and Jesus forgives. Is there somebody this morning who will come to Jesus just like you are? Is there somebody else who will come and say, I want to be used by God to win somebody to Christ. God help me to do it. Is there somebody that ought to move your letter to this church? You do what God tells you to do while we sing, will you come?